0: Hello to all my fellow one o one history podcast listeners out there. Happy Friday to all of you wherever you may live in the world. One thing I know is that I'm always glad to be on the air with you guys, largely because all of you whom have been listening to my podcasts, whether you have been uh regular followers since June of twenty twenty or who have come on or whom have come along at other uh, times since then are uh, constantly eager about learning um, whatever it is that you may have learned at some point at one time in life, but didn't get the full story, or maybe just didn't know anything about the subject. But the bottom line is that all of you are uh, constantly coming back and wanting to learn more, and to me, I'm very uh, thankful for that. Uh, It is important that we uh, learn as much as there is out there involving history, whether it whether it's a, um, a major world event or if it's a regional event, one way or another, the stories, no matter how big or small they are, stories do need to be told. And even if we don't live or grew up in a region where a particular um, matter took place, we still need to know about it, because one way or another, a story like what we're talking about here being November's Fury, the deadly Great Lakes hurricane of 1913, to me that's a story that uh, can't be ignored. Yes, it might be just for the Great Lakes alone, but the Great Lakes in general are vital waters considering they contain 20% of the Earth's fresh water. 20% may not seem like the biggest number, but when you think about it, water itself is not something that should be taken for granted. So, in this uh, podcast segment to um, November's Fury, The Deadly Great Lakes Hurricane of 1913, written by Michael Schumacher, we're going to uh, be learning about um, some uh, surprises that are in store uh, weather-wise, given that, um, that the existing storm that we have uh, come to learn about has been wreaking havoc along the waters of Lake Superior in Michigan. And then we are also going to be learning about some triumph and tragedy, that has occurred um along uh the waters uh most notably of uh Lake Superior and Huron. However, we will be discussing in other podcasts about um more about Lake Huron. And so uh therefore uh what I'm able to share with you all tonight, uh, yes, it will be of uh, significant importance, but there will still be um some more unfinished uh business uh for us to get through um that might take a few more uh, podcasts, um, podcast sessions, that is, regarding um, Lake Huron. So let's uh, fasten our seatbelts and um, get the show on the road. And um, here we go with our first leadoff question. Early on, did it appear as though the existing storm from November 7th to the 8th would make its way east into Lake Huron, including the lower lakes, of Erie and Ontario. So, early on, folks, do any of you all feel as though the existing storm that had happened or rather had uh, taken place along Lake uh, Superior in Michigan from November 7th to the 8th would make its way east into Lake Huron, including the lower lakes of Erie and Ontario? Uh, The answer is yes. Okay. How, how come? Well, the reason why uh, the answer is yes is because um, shipping captains um, were relieved. In other words, they were relieved to know that um, that the uh, existing storm would, would not make its way east. If I said would a second ago, uh, do uh, pardon me, but I just had to remind myself that uh, the answer to the question being yes, and that the um that the captains or I should say shipping captains uh, were re- very relieved to know that this uh, storm was not going to um, interfere with their abilities and um, making sure that cargo got delivered along Lake Michigan and superior's ports well, you know right now it would be fair to say that m- maybe they've got a um, definitive long-term um, Green light ahead of them. In other words, they can go to Port A, port B like there's no tomorrow, and not have to worry about any kind of weather um, that would um, that would change everything so drastically to where um, their um, goals to where their goals could be met. The shipping schedules the shipping schedules have been quite hectic. And they have seen their fair share fair share of delays uh going into uh the early part of November with this um with this storm shipping schedules including delays pertaining to recent weather conditions irked boat captains in other words for irked meaning it bothered them it um it really uh got under their skin, so the shipping schedules given given that they have included delays pertaining to recent weather conditions. Bothered boat captains, because they were constantly at the mercy of their bosses. Who are the, who do the uh, shipping captains have to report to, folks? They have to report to uh, shipping company officials. So we have to remember that the, uh, it's one thing for a captain to command his ship, but that doesn't mean that he's independent from people above him. Meaning the shipping company officials who run the show, a.k.a. the head honchos. The shipping company officials are the ones who are becoming all the more unpredictable. They could be unpredictable probably at any time of the year, but when do you think shipping company officials are going to be the most unpredictable? Are they going to be unpredictable during the summer, or are they going to show their... um, show their... um, Unpredictable minds as a shipping season nears its end. Uh, the answer is choice B. Uh, shipping company officials are going to become more and more unpredictable, and how they deal with the unexpected as the shipping season nears its end. What do you think could be one of the main reasons for this um, state of unpredictability on the mind when it comes to uh, shipping company officials? Could it be that when goods, or I should say commodities, are not delivered on time, could it be that that it uh, upsets uh, shipping uh, company officials? Yes. And there could be a variety of reasons why sometimes goods are not delivered on time. Uh, one thing that can come to my mind is the weather. You know, we can't control Mother Nature. I think that should be an ultimate uh, cardinal rule. Uh, another factor could be that... Um, that a boat was experiencing uh, delays leaving its uh, port of origin. Those delays could be, um, say, mechanical. They could be uh, where the cargo was not loaded on time like it should have been. Uh, Basically, delays with loading cargo. So, you know, we have to think uh, more than just uh, Mother Nature. But obviously, yes, it's one thing for goods to deliver, but if they're not delivered on time, like the shipping company officials want them to, then um, the greater the uh, level of unpredictableness or unpredictability um, will arise. Now, come November 9th of 1913, around Sunday morning of, of that day, the Port Huron Weather Bureau Station reported a barometric pressure drop with winds from the northwest, but the winds appeared to be more of a breeze, okay? So, if you have breezy winds, is that something to be alarmed about? No. Most of us would welcome um, winds that bring a breeze. In other words, it's like a form of cooling. In other words, it's not it's not too hot and it's not, you know, too warm, but the the breeze itself um, mitigates whatever um, whatever um, unseasonably warm conditions have been in existence for the last um, for the last couple of weeks. Given that here we are um, in early November of 1913, and it's uh, unseasonably warm along the Great Lakes waters. So so given that there appears to be um, a good uh, breeze. Captains are pleased with how weather was cooperating. Because now freighters can resume their business, and that is loading cargo onto, having cargo loaded onto the ships, and being able to leave harbor. That is leave, um, leave shelter, to now go about getting um, the people's business done, being that of the customers who are anxiously awaiting their goods. And and let's keep in mind, folks, what do you think these Great Lakes uh, vessels, I I know I mentioned from a previous podcast about um, a commodity like iron ore. Okay, so iron ore, it's a natural resource. Let's keep in mind, folks, that these Great Lakes vessels are not delivering um, stuff that would normally be delivered to our home, um, front doorstep on our home. In other words, they're not dealing with anything that's uh, Amazon related, they are dealing with um, they're dealing with a whole host of commodities, but usually when I think of Great Lakes uh, freighter ships, I tend to think of them as uh, delivering uh, natural resources like iron ore, um, taconite, um, just to name a few. Um, basically, um, natural resources that are used to make a variety of uh, different um, goods that many of us use on a daily uh, basis um, in our homes. Would the storm that had wreaked havoc along uh, Lake Superior in Michigan from November 7th to the 8th make its way east, bringing cold Arctic air? The answer is yes, and this was largely due in part to a weather system originating from the southeast that moved up the eastern seaboard bringing moisture in its path okay so you know we always have this assumption that when a storm happens it's it stays confined into one area but what we often have to be reminded of is that storms do go different directions storms if a storm is occurring in the um In the northern or in the upper uh, Great Plains, like around, um, say, uh, upper Midwest, rather, I should say, like, you know, in Michigan or uh, Wisconsin, could a storm uh, go east of Michigan into um, or southeast of Michigan into, uh, say, states of um, Indiana, Illinois, Ohio? Um, I know maybe my directions might be a little off, but what I'm just trying to say is that You know, we we get this assumption that a storm only is confined to one spot, but storms do move in different uh, directions. So, uh, once again, would the storm that had wreaked havoc along Lake Superior, Michigan from November 7th to the 8th make its way east, bringing cold Arctic air? And the answer is yes. This was largely due in part to a weather system originating from the southeast that moved up the eastern seaboard, bringing moisture in its path. Sunday, November 9th, this second weather system moved over northern Virginia, bringing large-scale rain and snow to the Atlantic Coast states, including the eastern region of the Ohio Valley. Now, this storm is moving pretty quick, folks. Sunday afternoon of November 9th, saw the second weather system take an unexpected turn westward. Westward, folks, okay, if um, if the eastern region of the Ohio Valley has been impacted by, say, the snow, and now all of a sudden this second weather system is taking an unexpected turn westward. Where could that be going, folks? How about the lower Great Lakes? Okay, so that means other Great Lakes uh, waters like, say, uh, Huron and Erie in Ontario can now feel um, feel the effects. But by the time both weather systems came together, a majority of boats that had already departed Lake Huron's shores were well out in the heart of Huron's midsection. So, okay, it's one thing now for so many of these boats to have left um, shelter from various ports um, encompassing Lake Huron. Now that they've all left, and now all of a sudden, you get another, um, weather system, and it's one thing to have another weather system, but now both of these, uh, systems are, um, coming together as one. You know, it's, um, it's one of those things that, yes, you take your chances, but you never know in some instances what, uh, what the end result will be. You know, it's like that old saying, sometimes you're damned if you do, and, and you're damned if you don't. So this is a, um, a time when captains have to decide for themselves, hey, do we risk it by going out into the water or do we uh, play it safe by staying um, on dock and letting the storm ride out? Is Lake Huron a large lake? The answer is yes. Huron was larger than Michigan, Erie, and Ontario, but but it didn't eclipse Lake Superior, which was, and then still remaining to this day, the largest of the five great lakes. And here, I'm going to uh, mention to you all here, um, some um, important uh, fact information, not just on Huron, but another uh, body of water that just so happens to be connected to Lake Huron. But it's important to discuss this because oftentimes when we see a body of water, we just, uh, like a lake, for example, sometimes we just get the assumption that, well, it's just a lake. Well, yeah, it is just a lake, but there are other uh, features that uh, should not be ignored, especially when we're dealing with uh, Great Lakes uh, waters. Um, Lake Huron, believe it or not, folks, consists of 23,000 square miles of surface area, including its islands, giving it 3,827 miles of shoreline. Lake Huron, folks, is 206 miles in length. And 183 miles in width. The average depth is 195 feet deep, but at maximum, the depth is 750 feet. That's pretty um, impressive when you consider the average depth being almost 200 feet, but the, but its um, maximum depth can be as uh, far below as 750 feet. So it is fair to say that because of this all of this that uh lake huron rightfully can be considered a very large body of water it may not be as big as lake superior but it's but it's up there now on around 9:50 a.m. on sunday november 9th wind velocity increased to 36 miles an hour and would r- remain fixed between 20 to 42 miles per hour for the next three and a half hours. Okay, so about 9.50 a.m., folks, wind velocity is increasing to 36 miles an hour, and it's going to remain fixed between 20 to 42 miles per hour for the next three and a half hours. So, the way I see it is that this will last until well past 1 o'clock. At best, we're looking at the um, At the uh, wind forecast being from 20 to 42 miles per hour, it'll stay that way till about, say, 1.30 at best. That's a long time, three and a half hours there, folks. Think about what kind of um, damage uh, could be done based upon wind speeds um, being fixed at minimum 20, but max 42. The storm... um, was coming and wind velocity would not go below 40 miles per hour for the next 14 hours. How about that folks? It's it's, it's awkward enough that you got a storm coming, but to know that wind velocity is not going to go below 40 miles per hour for the next 14 hours, that can bring a lot of uncertainty. Uh, what's important about the St. Clair River? Well, the river itself forms an international boundary between the United States and Canada, running 40 and a half miles, and it's essentially vital to Great Lake shipping, considering the river connects uh, Lake Huron and Lake Lake St. Clair. Wow, so, you know, it's easy to think sometimes, well, you know, great that lakes... Are only uh, confined to just lakes themselves. That rivers don't connect with lakes. Well, we should be reminded that um, that given where the Great Lakes lie, that rivers are important and that they do help uh, connect. Um, not just uh, Great Lakes in general, but they uh, connect. Um, depending on where the river is, it does have a, a connection to. Um, To one of the Great Lakes. Uh, Why is Georgian Bay important? Anybody know about Georgian Bay? I've known about Georgian Bay for a long time, and one of the reasons why I know about Georgian Bay is because I, um, largely because I know it uh, it's uh, linked to Lake Huron. Well, for starters, um, Georgian Bay is a coastal body of water which is directly connected to a larger primary water body, in this case being Lake Huron. Secondly, uh, Georgian Bay is located completely within the confines of Ontario, Canada. Uh, Folks, how many of the Great Lakes um, border uh, both the United States and Canada? I'll give you a number. It's either three or four of the five Great Lakes that border Canada. So we already know that not all five. We already know that um, that not all five Great Lakes go into Canada. But how many of those? How many of the uh, Great Lakes waters go, do go into Canada? The answer is four: uh, Superior, Huron, Erie, Ontario. Therefore, folks, Lake Michigan is the only one of the five Great Lakes that does not go into Canada. Lake Michigan goes into Wisconsin, Illinois, and Indiana. And, of course, Michigan. (laughs) Um, So, so Georgian Bay is, as we said, is located completely within the confines of Ontario, Canada. Third, uh, Georgian Bay Being connected to Lake Huron is what allows Huron itself to remain the second largest Great Lake. So, what do you think would happen if Georgian Bay was not connected to Lake Huron? Well, it turns out that without Georgian Bay, Lake Michigan would supersede Huron for the number two spot. So, that's why, folks, Lake Hurons remain will constantly rem, remain above uh, Lake Michigan because of having Georgian Bay attached to it. Georgian Bay is home to roughly tens of thousands of islands, including a vast number of commercial ports. Now, we're going to be talking uh, off and on in this uh, podcast segment about a, um, a uh, Canadian package freighter known as the Regina. The Regina was a 249-foot Canadian package um, freighter. She was less than 10 years old. She departed uh, from the dock in Sarnia, Ontario, on the morning of November 9th. Sarnia is right across from um, Detroit, Michigan, in case any of you all are wondering where Sarnia, Ontario is. As a matter of fact, uh, Sarnia and Detroit uh, pretty much uh, touch uh, Lake Erie. If that gives you any indication of what Great Lake um, borders that Canadian, including a U.S. city, um, it's uh, Lake Erie. So the Regina uh, departs from the dock in Sarnia, um, Ontario, on the morning of November 9th. The Regina had uh, cargo in her hold, which is to be expected, but she also has cargo on her main deck. Is having cargo on your main deck um, necessarily a bad thing? No, but we're going to find out here that um, soon that maybe having a little too much cargo on your deck can pose a problem, not just short-term, but long-term. So, the Regina is not a traditional true bulk freighter. She is valued for cargo uh, being shipped, considering that she would be going to 10 ports around Georgian Bay delivering, believe it or not, uh, for example, she would be delivering eight railroad cars of canned goods to help those for the upcoming winter. So we have to keep in mind, folks, that, okay, this ship is doing good. I mean, yes, okay, it's not just delivering goods, but delivering goods for people who don't have um, access to everyday stuff like, say, a grocery store. They may have a little um, mom-and-pop shop, but it may not um, cater um, to everything that uh, that the uh, freighters like um, the Regina can provide for them. In other words, I don't believe the mom-and-pop shops would be able to... Um, provide um massive um wouldn't be able to provide um massive amounts of um storage space for uh goods um compared to what these uh railroad cars are going to uh, be able to contain given that their destination is to uh, various um islands and um places that are what you call far more remote. Far more re- remote spots along, say, um, say not only along just the Upper Peninsula, but also um, on the outskirts of uh, Lake Huron, and um, with Georgian Bay in general. Now, uh, the Regina's deck was loaded with 140 tons of baled hay. How much do you all think that is in terms of equivalent to pounds? I did the math. 140 times uh 20 and that came out to uh 280,000 pounds. That's a lot of uh pounds in terms of baled hay. And if that's and if that's a huge heaping number of um items aboard Regina's deck, How about placing large sewer and gas pipes being stacked and, yes, secured in place? Okay, yes, you may have the freight secured in place, but folks, is this not a safe practice? Do you think that placing 140 tons of baled hay, being the equivalent of 280,000 pounds, to placing large sewer and gas pipes, no matter how well stacked and secured they are in place, do you think it's a safe idea to be placing all this stuff aboard a freighter's deck? No. It's just not. But and and the reason I'll say this right here, and we'll and I'll talk more about it here in a moment, it's because of liability issues. So, the next question is the following. Did a ship spotter express concern about freight on the Regina's deck given that gas pipes rose over her rails? Yes. The ship spotter uh, feared that the Regina could be top-heavy. What do we mean when we hear of uh, top-heavy? What that means, folks, is that more weight gets placed above, being in this case a top-deck, versus the bottom being the hold, resulting in improper weight balance. And if you have improper weight, weight balance, folks, does that make a ship all the more uh, vulnerable to um, succumbing in a storm, or to succumbing, um, to succumbing in general? Yes. So if the Regina were top-heavy, she could come in contact with high seas, producing monster waves, to rolling. What happens when a ship rolls, folks? Whenever a ship rolls, uh, they, a ship is, uh, in, is uh, enduring wind and wave movements. These movements can be so strong that it can push against a ship and not just push against the ship, but causing the ship to rock back and forth violently to where the ship might as well end up splitting in two. So, it is very, very essential, folks, that cargo gets loaded properly, not below, not so much below in the hold, but if, it's, if you are going to place some things along the deck, I strongly don't recommend um, loading 140 tons of baled hay. Yes, you might be desperate in terms of, of um, trying to make a profit, but if it comes to um, hey you say, it? if it comes to um, being negligent and not um, appreciating the boundaries of what a ship can and can't support in terms of weight from above and below, then all I can say is that um, people are playing with fire, not just for the well-being of the ship, but for that of the crew. Now um, let me ask you this. I don't think you all know would know who this person is, but he's going to be dealing with a, a situation that is um, a matter of life and death. Who is Jimmy Owen? He is the captain of the Henry B. Smith, a five hundred twenty-five foot straight decker, or five hundred twenty-five foot straight decker vessel, I should say. Jimmy Owen is no stranger to uh, Great Lakes waters, considering that he has spent 36 of his 54 years working along them, and he is well-liked by his entire crew. Well, you know, it's one thing to be a captain, but you do want um, to earn the respect of your crew. You want to make sure, as a captain, that you're valuing your crew. Because if you don't value your crew, then how can your crew uh, respect you? captain owen um, has had a lot going on since the storm first began he's not pleased with how loading process went went about at marquette michigan's dock why would that be well can we say that the weather has had um has uh, caused a lot of strain on captain owen yes especially considering it's been unpredictable weather and we're not talking so much unpredictable weather weeks on end, but this unpredictable weather that has uh, come about in the past few days on Lake Superior. So that's where uh, Marquette, uh, Michigan, folks, is located. It's on, located on uh, Lake Superior. Dock crew, the dock crew, rather, I should say, is facing issues with loading iron ore into the um, Henry B. Smith. This is largely due to how cold the weather had become. Well, how cold exactly had the weather become? Folks, it had gotten so cold, and I did not even know this, and I was amazed to think that it did happen. But it had gotten so cold to where iron froze in the hopper car. (laughs) What is a hopper car, folks? It's a railroad freight car designed to transport loose bulk commodities. In loading chutes, loose bulk commodities like, for example, iron ore. The dock workers um, had to come up with some ingenuity here that they turned to um, sledgehammers for picking ice apart on these cars and chutes, just to be able to uh, get the um, to get the iron ore loaded into the um, cargo hold. Storm interference led to further delays with freight loading to where Captain Owen, he was getting uh, burnt out, I think it's fair to say, to where he simply just preferred not even venturing out along the waters. And he didn't want to jeopardize his crew. I don't blame the guy at all. But let me ask you this, does a captain get to have the final say or rather, I should say, sometimes does a captain always get to have the final say over whether or not his crew should even be out on the water? As much as we would like to believe that captains always had the final say, we have to be reminded, folks, that uh, that they didn't always get the final say. And that more often or not, that if they did express an urgent um, concern regarding weather, that it was often... Uh, um, It was often um, rebuked, and whom would have rebuked it? Whom would have uh, turned down or scoffed at their um, concerns? How about shipping company officials, folks? The head honchos. So, whom does uh, Captain um, Jimmy Owen work for? He works for the Acme Transit Company, which is stationed out of Cleveland, Ohio. Doesn't it seem like uh, people in Cleveland, Ohio, it seems like they are in their own world. It seems as though they live in a world that's too big to fail. It seems as though no matter how dire the weather conditions have turned, they still have this notion that their vessels will miraculously get through the storm and live to see another day, live to see another shipping season wishful thinking, and a lot of ignorance on my end. So, Acme Transit Company, being the owner of uh, Captain Owen's vessel, the Henry B. Smith, had simply lost all patience regarding delays and late arrivals. It's one thing maybe to have one delay or a late arrival, but it sounds like that this has not been a good shipping season for Acme. Um transit company and the vessels she owns. I can't tell you this much that Acme transit company, based upon the readings, um, based upon the findings in this book, they did own about at least six uh, vessels. Had uh, Captain Owens's ship been late with arrival on time during the 1913 shipping season? The answer is yes. Delays overall usually meant lost profits aka revenue. And yes, Acme Transit Company is located out of Cleveland, Ohio. Is it fair to say that um, that Acme uh, Transit Company issued a warning to Captain um, Owen? Yes, they did. Do I think it's fair that they issued this guy a warning? No. But at the same time, if I had been in Captain Owen's shoes, I probably probably would have been issued a warning. Um, that I know deep down that I would have um, that would not have been deserving. So officials at um, Acabi Transit Company go as far as saying to Captain Owen the following, in quotations, and listen carefully. Either bring in the boat and cargo on time, or seek employment elsewhere next season. Talk about being strict. Talk about being inconsiderate. Is it fair to say that these officials might have known of an impending storm coming? Uh, Perhaps so. But we also have to keep in mind uh, two folks, and we learned this early on from the uh, introduction and maybe from one of the first um, podcasts forward after the uh, prologue, is that the uh, shipping company officials in the Weather Bureau did not have a uh, harmonious relationship. Um, most shipping company officials, and, and some captains, because we can't pin all the blame on one side, a lot of uh, shipping company officials uh, were stuck uh, with a traditional uh, weather uh, predicting um, formula that, okay, we go up to 24 hours. Anything over 24 hours is just um, is, is, is foolish. You know, these storms usually only last one or two days. Why are we thinking about storms that could have a potential of lasting four days or longer? It's never happened before, so why should we be thinking about it now? Well, you know, things do change, and yes, uh, some changes occur that are not for the better, but it would be fair to say that if a storm is going to last longer than two days, Wouldn't it be fair to say, even in its aftermath, that the least a shipping company could do was learn about the storm and go about making necessary modifications so that maybe they don't lose a lot of vessels going forward in the future? It's wishful thinking, but for these uh, shipping company officials at Acme Transit Company, and I think the same would go for other shipping companies, is that they are... are more concerned about making profits and are more concerned about the goods being delivered to the final uh, customer, but as for their um, employee safety, that's just going to take a back seat. And, of course, when I um, read in quotes the following, either bring in the boat and cargo on time or seek employment elsewhere next season, it's also the uh, company officials way of saying to Captain Owen, Your replacement um is just a phone call away we've got um plenty of other people in line ready to take your place, not just your place as a captain aboard this vessel, but crew as well so in other words yeah you can uh you can gripe all you want, but just remember we can you know we can get rid of you, not just you but we can get rid of your crew so you know it it's um Think about this, folks, it's it's a marriage that is um, very, very vulnerable, to say the least, especially when things don't uh, go uh, one party's way, only for the other party to suffer at the expense, in this case, of the shipping company officials. Uh, despite Captain Owens' boat having departed Lake Superior, what did observers on nearby vessels notice? And this is uh, important, folks. It's one of these things that should not be happening all the time, but sadly, uh, it has been happening. Um, and many um, boat captains have been guilty of letting it slide. Well, Henry Smith crewmen were tightening down vessel. They were t- tightening down the vessel's thirty-two hatches. There's nothing wrong with t- tightening down the hatch to ensure that. Um, that water doesn't get into the cargo hold, but the problem was that these hatches were being tightened even after the boat departed. Shouldn't the hatches have been tightened down first before the boat ever departed? Yes, but sadly, this boat is uh, is in a uh, serious... Uh, is facing a serious deadline crunch. In other words, the company officials are... Um, and are um, rushing Captain Owen and his crew just to get off the dock, and and get to their destination, but doing so without um, making sure that everything else was done before departure. So in other words, it's like cutting corners. So, yes, they're tightening down the vessel's thirty-two hatches as this boat is has well left uh, the port, and. This is really in a sense or a nutshell, a violation of protocol. A violation of protocol has taken place, folks, where the boats, in this case, um the um Henry B. Smith wasn't supposed to sail into rough water on, on under with one exception, only if the Henry B. Smith or any other boat had been watertight. What does it mean by watertight folks? What it means by watertight is that uh, it's another term for f- for ensuring that um, something is fastened or fitted. In this case, the hatches, ensuring that the hatches are, are so well fastened and fit and fitted to where no water could enter or pass through through the cargo hold. So, if you have hatches that are weak, yeah, then the greater the likelihood that um, that water will um, that water could come over the bow or the, uh, the stern and could eventually make its way into the uh, cargo hold, uh, damaging the freight below. Many boat captains were known to take their vessels out into rough waters without ensuring hatches had been properly secured. Well, you talk about uh, major violations... And you know, yes, captains could come back and say, "Well, you know, we got through a storm, no damage." Okay. 3 out of 4 times it might happen. What about uh, the one time when it does happen and your cargo is so badly destroyed that the end receiver doesn't even want to accept it? Because the hatches had not been properly secured in the sense of um in the sense of uh, preventing an, an onslaught of uh, water. Uh, penetrating through the hold the two vessels that witnessed the Henry B. Smith's uh, crew um, being um, the Denmark and the Choctaw they were actually smart the crewmen on these two vessels were because they actually stayed on the dock at Marquette where they got spared from the storm's wrath the Henry B. Smith departed the dock Under not-so-good weather conditions, including an eventual wave encounters, resulting in waves that went over the Smith's bow. November 12th, wreckage from the Henry B. Smith showed up 13 miles from Marquette. Sadly, Captain Owen and 23 sailors aboard uh, the Henry B. Smith died. Is it fair to say that they died as a result of the uh, ignorance on the part of uh, shipping company officials at Acme uh, Transit Company. Oh, I would say that there's no doubt about it. I would say that Acme Transit Company forced uh, Captain Owen and his crew, against their own will, to go out into waters that even Captain Owen knew were not safe to be in. But did it bother um, the shipping company officials? No. Because, what well, again, what was their concern about? Making profits and placing safety at a far distant uh, second. You know, sometimes you have to say to yourself or say to others, well, you know, the cargo can be replaced, but you can't. So, in other words, as I said earlier, based upon what those officials had said, either bring in the boat and cargo on time or seek employment elsewhere next season. In other words, We don't care if we fire you and your crew, we just know that we've got at least another um, captain and crew waiting to take your all's place. So regardless of what happens to you all, there will always be somebody who can replace you. (laughs) Uh, Did the Regina, we're going to come back to the Regina now. Did the Regina encounter weather conditions that prompted Captain Edward McConkie, her commander, to make a quick split game decision? Yes. Uh, Given the wind speeds had already reached 80 miles an hour, Captain McConkie decided to head back down from where he first departed on Lake Huron and wait out the storm along the St. Clair River. I think this is a smart move. He knows that what he's getting into isn't going to get any better. The bigger question is, though, will Captain McConkie and his crew make it back in enough time before... Things get so bad to where the inevitable can happen. Let's find out. Did Captain Edward McConkey and his crew aboard the Regina ever make it to, to the St. Clair River? I have uh, some unfortunate news, folks. No, they didn't. The vessel ended up hitting bottom in between Port Sanilac and Lexington, Michigan. The storm sent uh, the Regina closer to the shore, resulting in her striking the bottom multiple times, where she tore a hole in the hole, being the main, main body um, near the uh, front end of the uh, cargo hold. It's sad, though, to, th- to think that uh, here Edward Mc- Captain McConkey, he wasn't playing with fire but yet he knew that he needed to get his uh, crew back. So, it's, it's bad enough that this vessel ended up hitting bottom, but even after it had hit bottom, was there an opportunity still for uh, survival? Well, we would like to think that there was, but the boat was doomed after striking uh, bottom, on multiple occasions, it would have been one. It's one thing to have struck bottom once, but given that it was striking the bottom on so many instances, and, and I think it's fair to say, folks, because this is a violent storm. So when you're dealing with a violent storm, your boat's going to be, it's going to be going in all different directions, tossed, turned, um, to the point where you're going to hit anything uh, without even being able to have time to prepare to turn it another direction to where you can avoid a worst-case scenario. So, the boat is doomed after striking the bottom on many of instances, and if that's bad enough, what happens when, when excessive water begins to flood the inside of the boat, in this case being that of a Regina? The more water that floods in the inside of a boat, makes it harder to do the opposite, that is to pump the water out. If you can pump the water out of your boat, that means that your boat will have a better ability to stay afloat, and not be uh, perhaps tossed and turned left and right like there's no tomorrow. But given how violent the storm is, the greater the likelihood that flooding is going to happen inside the vessel to um, to where all attempts to pump it out, gonna be uh, fruitless. Captain McConkie um, fought valiantly. He ordered the anchor be dropped to engines shutting down, but sadly it wasn't enough to rescue the ship. Meaning Captain McConkie had no other choice but to issuing, but to issue the following command, and this was a last resort command when everything else had failed. Listen carefully. Abandon ship! Abandon ship! The Regina did have lifeboats, but given how bad the conditions were, that is, weather conditions, no small vessel could stay afloat per heavy wind and seas on Lake Huron. And how true that is. Come Tuesday, November 11th, one day after the storm officially had ended, or the day after, One of the Regina's lifeboats washed ashore, including many of her crew. That's sad. Many of her crew are now washed ashore, including one of her lifeboats. Now, is it fair to say that her lifeboats were uh, tossed violently out of the boat? Yes. You know, waves have a mind of their own. Winds have a mind of their own, and when those conditions are right... Oh man, they could pack a one, two, three punch that's so hard, like those three sisters waves that we've talked about. Yeah, when it when you get to when it gets to be that uh, intense, anything can come apart. Captain McConkey and the crew did manage to issue a distress warning via a whistle or what we call a distress whistle. But the calls for help. Ended once the vessel lost its uh, buoyancy. Uh, when when a vessel is buoyant, what does that mean? It's uh, able to um, remain afloat above a water surface. So once the um, the Henry B. Smith uh, lost its buoyancy, it was no longer able to remain afloat above the water surface, and therefore she sunk right within three miles of the Michigan shore. Three miles, folks. Captain McConkie was the last person on board the Regina when she sank. He would be the last of the boat's crew that got recovered. But it would not be until August of 1914, folks. Nine months after the uh, deadly Great Lakes hurricane from November of 1913, Nine months after, in August of 1914, finally did Captain um, McConkie, Edward McConkie's body, be discovered and got recovered to where uh, he would get a proper burial. Sadly, does anybody want to know how old Captain McConkie was? I think this is, you know, usually when I think of captains on uh, the Great Lakes waters, I tend to think of them as being older gentlemen, men who've been around for, on the waters for 30 and, in some instances, 40 years. Captain Edward McConkie was only 34 years old in 1913. And at the time of his passing, he left behind a wife and two daughters, ages 2 and 7. You know, many of you are probably wondering, why couldn't some of these men find a better job that... Um, did not involve having to risk their lives all the time. Well, we have to keep in mind for many of these men, they are following a tradition. Working working along Great Lakes waters is in their blood. In other words, many of these men had fathers who did this, grandfathers, uncles, brothers. So it runs in the family. And for Generations that come and go, they feel as though they need to carry on um, the legacies that were left behind from a previous generation. So, we have to keep in mind that um, those who live um, near ports, a port could uh, be responsible for employing towns that, um, that surround it. Because without those ports, then, then how, um, how do the townspeople make a living? so we have to keep in mind that for many of these people this is really the only work they've known and are they proud to be in this line of work yes they are are they aware of the risks that go with it yes they are you know it's like that old saying you know somebody has to do this job it may not be for everyone but there are people out there who have to do it Um, there are people out there who have to be willing to put their own lives on the line even if it means going out into weather that is unpredictable, even if it means knowing that not only are you putting your life at stake, but you also know that if you don't go out there, that you could um, you could run the risk of losing your job. In some instances, um, an individual could be frowned upon by um, not just company officials, but maybe by their own crew or, or let alone family. So. I think going out into the waters, Great Lakes waters, even in November, um, is, a, is a test of manhood. In other words, it's where you separate boys from men. Survival of the fittest. Well, we've covered a lot of ground in this uh, podcast segment, and when I'm on the air again next, we're going to uh, learn some more about um, other acts of uh, triumph and uh, tragedy. And while, yes, triumph is always a great thing, tragedy is something that uh, can't be forgotten because even um, the tragedies that occur have to be told. So uh, thank you for your time, as always, and I look forward to being back on the air again next time. And uh, wherever you all may live, uh, continue to stay safe. But thank you again for being such ardent listeners. This isn't something I take for granted. I'm just very thankful to know that I have so many uh, devoted listeners out there who care about... um, what's being um, discussed, because um, this is a history that uh, shouldn't be forgotten. Yes, we see a body of water, but we also have to remember that those who navigate the Great Lakes have, um, have made ultimate sacrifices, and that their lives must not be forgotten, and their, their stories should be um, preserved for, for past, present, and future uh, references. Thank you for your time and continue to stay safe and take care.